listening to An Inside Look with North America's Top 50 Site Consultants. How do I land a big deal in my community? What are location consultants really looking for? Join us as we pull back the curtain and look inside the secrets of site selection with your hosts, Tim Tarantine and Amanda Harrison. Hey everyone, thanks for listening in to an inside look, North America's top 50 site consultants. I'm Amanda here with Tim, and it is so crazy to think that we started this journey way back in January, and here we are now, nearing the end of the year. But it is safe to say that we have saved some of our best conversations for the end. So Tim, tell us about the site consultant that you spoke with this week. Sure, Tim Feemster. He's with Foremost Quality Logistics. He's the managing principal there. Tim has over 30 five years experience in this industry of solving problems for companies in the areas of site selection, logistics, supply chain, real estate, transportation, distribution. I could go on and on and on about this man and his expertise. He is regularly quoted in several of the publications that are honored around the site selection and economic development industry. He does 20 plus talks a year just on logistics and real estate as a keynote speaker. Uh, He's had, again, several years of experience. He used to be in private industry in three different manufacturing companies. He's been a consultant and then done a lot of work with helping companies revitalize and set strategy around their logistics. He's got a real passion, and you're going to hear his passion for the work he does. He also has a soft spot in his heart for our veterans. He does a lot of work with Hire Our Heroes, and I found out that he speaks a little French as well. Uh, He's very active with our IAMC, which is the Industrial Asset Management Council with site selectors and also active in the International Economic Development Council. So Tim is a star in the industry. He knows what he's talking about. And you're going to hear this talk went on and on because Tim's got so many years of experience. There's so much knowledge to hear. Sit back and take your pen out. You're going to want to take notes for this one. Tim, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad to have you on and congratulations on being named one of North America's top 50 site consultants. So happy to have you. Welcome aboard. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it very much. We want to dive right into the conversation, and we really want to learn nuggets of wisdom and leadership from you about this world of site selection, but let's dive into who you are. What are three things our listening audience should know about Tim Feaster? Well, the most important things, I think, are that I've got over 35 years' experience in supply chain operations, actually running warehouses and running transportation networks. And along with that, over 25 years of experience in site selection, you know, moving companies into the right locations to make their supply chains work. And a personal strategy of mine is to under-promise and over-deliver to my clients. Sure. Sounds like a strategy that has worked for you over the years. As you said, you started in manufacturing. You did some logistics and real estate. Tell us how you got into site selection. How did you begin your career there in site selection? Well, I got into it during the third-party outsourcing business that I got into starting in 1988. I had done, as you said, food manufacturing prior to that. But it's just part of the business model for third-party logistics outsourcing companies. Customers all the time ask in RFPs to have the 3PL company tell us where we ought to have our new distribution center. For free, by the way. (laughs) And so we really got into doing it that way as just part of the business model. That's how I got into it. It's interesting, the career I've got, though, because at the focus of food manufacturing, third-party outsourced logistics, and the commercial real estate company that I worked for, all revolves around real estate, but 
the difference between site selection in the industrial manufacturing world is that the real estate is not the biggest player in it from a cost perspective, but the real estate is one of the most critical elements from the where perspective. Ah, got it. So there's a nuance that is specific enough that we need folks like you to help us navigate that space, obviously. Correct. I mean, I'm pretty unique in the site selection world, having the background I do. Sure. But yeah, I look at a site selection process for the client, and I say, well, why would I want to be there as an operator, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, and you've got some interesting insight, you know, having been on both sides of the deal, right? So you've been on the company side, now on the consultant side. How are you defining success for a project with all of your perspective, which, quite frankly, is very well-rounded? How are you defining success? Well, I think the success for the project is being able to get the client in the right place to have the lowest total cost, the best speed to market for their business model, and minimizing the supply chain or interruption risk potential. Those three things are always a balancing act. And so you have to sometimes give up one a little bit in order to get the other, right? You have to might spend a little more to get a site that is more centric to your cost structure and give up a low-cost building, but when over 60% of the cost of supply chain is typically in transportation and only about 4% is in rent, you quickly come to the focus as to what's important in the decision <laughs> the transportation. And if you're off 10% in the transportation, it doesn't even matter if you have a free building. Um, sure. You're still in the wrong cost structure totally. And that's one of the things that you really have to emphasize with your clients is do not make a site selection decision on a single element of the process. It has to be the total elements together. Because if you silo the decision, if the tax people take over the discussion and say, well, we're going to do this all on a tax basis, or the HR people take over and say, well, we got to be here because of the labor force, but yet you're in the wrong place from a cost structure, over time, the company will realize that that's the wrong place for them to be, and they'll move. What can economic developers do about that phenomenon? Well, they have to really understand the business vertical that is trying to get to their community or they are trying to recruit to their community, okay? So it's important that they focus on understanding the cost structure, understanding the strategies of that business, and understanding where that business is going in order to make sure they understand if they're, again, the long-term solution for that client. Because these people are typically making 20-year decisions, they typically don't do this every week or every year or sure. in career. And so they need to have professional people help them make those decisions. Well, you've been solving problems for and with companies for over three decades now. Much like in other industries, when you talk about the stars of the industry, people have kind of inside secrets, right? They have things that they rely on personally because of their lived experiences or worked experiences that they lean on. Tell us one inside secret that you lean on when you're looking at a community. Yeah, I look for people who have what I just talked about. The secret is, do they understand the business that we're bringing here? Do they understand what drives that business, what the hot buttons are, okay? Sure. Do they talk the language of the business, all right? So, I relate that to somebody who responds to an RFP in the supply chain world, how they have a great quality of life and how they have a symphony in their town or or whatever it is, right? The reality is, in my world, 90% of the people that are going to work in this facility already live there. (laughs) 
So right. you don't have to recruit me on the fact that this is, it's a great place to live because all the people I'm going to hire already are there. You know, you might bring in a manager, you might bring in some subject matter experts to come to the community, but it's not the same to recruit a data center and a call center and a corporate relocation and a supply chain group. Sure. They're different, and you need to make sure that you recruit them differently. As you know, all projects are not created equal, right? That is correct. That is correct, yes. So what are some of the key issues that keep recurring with the clients you're working with? I think they really look at three elements in their business model, as I mentioned before. What's the total cost of this particular project as it relates to the total of the company? In other words, what's the strategy of this project as it relates to the strategy of the total corporation? So they maybe want to go from five to six distribution centers across the country, and that may make a difference in where two or three of those are located, right? So how does this fit into the strategy of the corporation, and what's the total cost of this to not only this particular project, but again, the the ancillary ones that it touches, again, making sure that they are meeting the needs of their customers. What's my time to delivery? What's my speed to market, we call it? How fast do I have to get the order and get it to the customer? You see what's going on with Amazon. They're putting in more and more and more distribution centers to get closer and closer and closer and closer to the major metropolitan areas in this country, which is a change in strategy for them. But it's driven by the fact that they want to be in a position to give same-day, next-day service to a greater percent of the population instead of being in a location that had potentially low labor costs and low rent costs, but their speed to market wasn't good. Two to five days in the old days of e-commerce was fine. Today, it's not. Okay, So their business model gets changed over time, and they have to morph their network and their supply chain and their manufacturing structure in order to meet that. The interruption risk is another thing. You know, you see this outsourcing over to Asia for years and years and years we've been doing that. But then now all of a sudden there's tsunamis, there's volcanic eruptions in Iceland that cause no transport by air to Europe for a week, you know. 9-11, where the border to Canada was closed, and just-in-time inventories of the auto industry forced auto plants to shut down because they couldn't get parts. That supply chain interruption risk, an awful lot of more companies are looking at that so that they can build alternative plans instead of having a single distribution center for their entire network. That's too high a risk. So maybe we ought to have two, right? Sure. At least to get a backup scenario. Can we put all our eggs in the West Coast to import all of our products there when the entire every five-year cycle of labor negotiations goes on and it interrupts my supply chain? So I go to a four-corners or a five-corner strategy where I bring product in to the Gulf Coast and the East Coast in addition to the West Coast, even though it might cost more money to the retailer being out of stock on the shelf is the most critical element they want to avoid. They will spend more money to do that because if they're out of stock on the shelf, it totally impacts their revenue stream. Those folks are driven by small margins on a lot of revenue. That's correct. And returning customers, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And loyalty to customers, right, by having the product on the shelf. And they'll buy somebody else's product, and they might lose them for a long, long time or forever, you know? Tim, you've given us a lot of great wisdom so far. I'm going to get you out of here on this question. Uh, you've, you've learned a lot. You've worked with so many projects, companies, deals. If you had a room full of economic developers all in one place, what would your message be with all that you've learned? What would you tell economic developers? I would tell them that they need to know the cost structure, the strategies, and the language of the industry they're trying to attract to sure. make sure that they know that you understand their business. 
an awful lot of people don't do the research. It's kind of like going into a job interview and not researching the company you're going into the job interview and asking the interviewer, what does your company do? Well, you've already lost the job interview there, right? Correct. <laughs> you, you need to do work. You need to do the basics of work and research to put yourself in a position to win. Tim, thank you so much for your insights. We appreciate the work you're doing to add jobs and create more quality of life in communities around North America. And of course, we congratulate you on being named by your colleagues as one of North America's top 50 psychics. I appreciate it. And, you know, really, in the grand scheme of things, being in a job that gets other people jobs is one of the coolest things you can do. You and I agree on that, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to North America's Top 50, produced by Consultant Connect, where we're working to bridge the gap between leading economic developers and location consultants. To learn more about what we do and how to get involved, please visit consultantconnect.com or tweet me at Ron Kitchens.